Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we're excited to have with us a guy who's known for his innovative campaign strategies and, shall we say, brash approach to politics. Somebody who is not afraid to play the role of outsider, Marisa. That's right. Joe Trippi is joining us today. He is a legend in Democratic politics and now host of a new podcast, That Trippy Show. Get it? Uh, it <laughs> aims to give Democrats a roadmap to defeating President Trump in November. And we're going to talk with this veteran campaign manager in a few minutes. But first, Scott, uh, where to start? Um, let's start with the fun stuff. Veep next sticks. week, next week, we're finally <laughs> going to have Joe Biden name his VP uh, choice. Allegedly, we you mean hear. we can't like uh, speculate for another month. <laughs> I know the Veep sticks is finally going to end. Um, we do know that uh, we think two Californians are on that list, right? Karen Bass, Kamala Harris. Um, there's been and we'll definitely want to have Joe weigh in on this in a little bit. But um, I don't know. You want to bet? You want to make any predictions? At this you know, point? I feel who knows, right? It's it's going to be Biden's gut. I think these people, if, if he's talking to them as the finalists, they've all made it through the process. So it's going to come down, I think, to his gut, who he's comfortable with. And, you know, I, I feel that it's down to two people. It's down to Kamala Harris and Susan Rice, who he knows so well. Um, others will disagree, including perhaps Joe. Uh, <laughs> but I, I feel like, you know, Harris, she's always been sort of in, in the post position, the one to beat, top of the list. She checks all the boxes. Uh, she's got the Senate credentials, the statewide California credentials, vetted nationally, been on the stage, been on the debate stage. So, you know, if, if you're looking for somebody who's maybe low risk, uh, and not going to screw things up, I'd say, you know, Kamala Harris. So if it's Susan Rice, Scott gets a lot of credit because he's been raising her name before that was even <laughs> like in the headlines. I, I, wanna, say, I want Guy Maserati in with us because he was the one that just <laughs> that rolled his eyes. <laughs> 
But I will say, I think you can tell that Harris is probably among those top contenders because of how much trash talking has come out from <laughs> other parts of the, the Biden universe who clearly don't want her to be um, the the vice presidential nominee. And, and I think that that gives us a little sense. But I mean, it is really fascinating. I wouldn't have expected necessarily that we would have Californians on that list um, at all, perhaps. Two of them, let alone Maybe two, Maybe three, right? you know, yeah. yeah, well, yeah so. I mean, Karen Bass, we had her on the show uh, last week. And, uh, you know, she's really come out of nowhere, really. I'm quite sure that two months ago, Karen Bass never occurred to her that she might be vice president of the United States. Yeah, right. Or any of us. Um, Well, we will have to all wait like everybody else. Um, Quickly, Scott, we are having a lot of talk in California. this week around unemployment benefits, obviously a national conversation as well. Um, as we tape this on Thursday, there is a hearing going on in Sacramento about um, our employment uh, development departments, just inability to get money into the hands of people that need them. I think tens of thousands of claims that have not been fulfilled. Um, and, and Newsom promising to do more here. We're all waiting to see what Congress will do. I mean, what's your bet for folks who are, you know, relying on this money that expires this Friday? Um, what do you think is going to happen? Well, there's, there's going to, as always, there's going to have to be some kind of compromise. I mean, I, I think the big sticking point is going to be that $600 bonus that was in the federal package the first time. Republicans are really not happy about that. I think they're going to have to negotiate that down maybe to, I don't know, 300 something like that in order to get enough Republicans to, to or Mitch McConnell in particular and, and Trump to support it. I mean, there's too much financial pressure on Americans in the middle of this pandemic to just sort of let it drag on and on and on because people have to pay rent. They have to pay all kinds of bills. And I think that they're, you know, I think something will happen. You know, they're talking in Sacramento about doing it themselves with state money, which is a little uh, thinly explained, I would say. There are no well, details Well, I mean, the idea there. is, well, the, no, there are details. What they're well, saying is that they're going to borrow ones. against the federal unemployment fund, which is what we did during the Great Recession 10 years ago, and just paid that money back by raising taxes on businesses. So I do think, I mean, there clearly is money there. I understand that there would be a desire to really bridge this gap, because to your point, I mean, I think economists generally agree that this downturn would be way worse since March if people didn't have that cash in their pockets. Um, And we are seeing a lot of debates now happening, too, around eviction protections and whether those should be extended at the federal and state level. Um, But I think to your point, the state budget is in terrible disarray. They are asking for money from the federal government. Republicans are not willing to go there yet. And um, if they don't get it, we're going to see deeper cuts this fall. Yeah, there's like, I think, $14 billion in trigger cuts if that federal money doesn't come through. And, you know, as you said, the EDD, the Department of uh, Employment Development, is a mess. Uh, They have given out in in their defense about $49 billion in benefits since March. Uh, But, you know, as you said, about a million people's claims kind of sitting there waiting for more information. It's an arcane system and antiquated technology. Sure, it's frustrating to Governor Newsom, who is a techie at heart, in some ways a geek. And, uh, you know, I I think that, you know, that is the way government has been allowed to operate for so long in California and elsewhere. Yeah, I I will say one last thing is that, you know, Newsom came in with similar complaints about the DMV. I don't think he has solved them, but I think we have seen an improvement in a lot of what's happened there. So I know we all roll our eyes when they create a strike team, but maybe, maybe we'll get somewhere with this. Yeah, maybe this one will actually strike. 
All right, we're going to take a break in a minute, but before we do, I do want to acknowledge um, this morning we saw three former presidents um, eulogize uh, Congressman John Lewis, who of course died recently, um, a lion of the civil rights movement, um, an amazing man, and um, President Obama gave the the official eulogy, and I think you saw, um, at least watching watching from my house on Twitter, just a lot of people really happy to, to hear from all of our former presidents, including George W. Bush, obviously a Republican, um, and, and just a lot of, of tears being shed across America right now. Yeah, and I think there was clearly a message uh, that, you know, John Lewis really organized this service to a large degree. I think he wanted to have a, a Republican speaking. He, you know, President Bush did sign an extension of the Voting Rights Act. And of course, the elephant in the room is who wasn't there, which uh, is the current president. And Nancy Pelosi also, you know, gave a wonderful tribute to, uh, to John Lewis, got very choked up. You know, it's, it's rare that you have somebody who comes to Congress as a hero of mm-hmm. sorts. You know, I think of John Glenn, perhaps, and John Lewis certainly was on that list. Mm-hmm. All right. We are going to take a short break now. When we come back, we're going to be talking with veteran campaign manager turned pundit Joe Trippi. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit Donate dot kqed dot org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks and welcome back to political breakdown i'm marisa lagos here with scott schaefer and we are thrilled to welcome joe trippy he is the host of a new podcast that trippy show and he's run numerous political campaigns including howard dean's 2004 presidential bid and alabama senator doug jones successful defeat of roy moore in 2017 joe trippy welcome to the breakdown uh, good to be with you. Thank you for coming. And we want to talk about some of these campaigns and what you're looking at for this November. But we thought it'd be fun for us to go back a little bit to your biography and talk about how you ended up in politics. Um, we know you were born, I think, in Jamestown, New York, and uh, you um, moved across country when you were a couple years old. But uh, it's your dad owned a flower shop there, right? Uh, yeah, he we, we moved to... Uh, California when I was three three years three months old excuse me and uh, uh, he ended up owning a, a starting Spartan shops in San Jose California he had, had a uh, the family had had a flower shop in Jamestown uh, came the, the grandfather uh, brought that uh, that was sort of the trade he brought with him from Italy and uh, my father uh, followed in his footsteps and started a flower shop in San Jose we should say not just Italy, but Sicily, right? Yeah. You're Sicilian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that play yeah. out in the family? 
not well because uh, my dad wanted uh, me to take over the flower shop, and uh, I make, was, made you an offer you couldn't refuse, but you did. <laughs> no, and I I wanted to. I was actually uh, just started to catch the political bug, and uh, and so uh, came east to, uh, to get involved in, uh, in my first presidential campaign and several others. Uh, and he he didn't he. We, we didn't actually, being Sicilian, he didn't talk to me for a number of years because he, he thought I was, uh, had escaped the family uh, uh, tradition and, and traded it in for the evil, horrible, uh, uh, corrupt uh, game of politics. Well, how did that come to be? I mean, I know you started getting political when you were at San Jose State uh, here in our backyard in the Bay Area. I mean, was politics something you guys ever talked about at home? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I, I was, uh, I would drive uh, flower deliveries uh, a, a bit, uh, and, but mostly I was I was an aeronautical engineering uh, major at uh, San Jose State, which again, sort of him being an old old time Italian, um, he kind of viewed college as uh, an excuse for skipping work. Uh, it was not. This wasn't. A you know oh no you must go to college family uh, that wasn't the, the kind of uh, the place I grew up in anyway. I have to ask you about one of the the jobs or maybe the only job you had while you were in college. You were a repair person for pinball machines on campus. I guess in the student union. How'd you get into that? Uh, I I was uh, there was a bowling alley in the student union. It had pinball machines. They kept breaking down and they they actually put up a you know, a, a help wanted sign there saying, you know, uh, and I had no idea what I was doing, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> but it was, you know, cool. I was, I was sort of into engineering and stuff anyway. So I understood, you know, circuits and things like that. And so, no, I, I, I uh, you know, I basically spent uh, uh, a couple of years in, in college being a, a pinball wizard of, of sorts, uh, uh, which was a blast. Uh, I mean, in terms of having a job where you, Oh, geez, I've got to test that machine one more time, make sure it's working. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you went, um, you drove cross country, I think, in a, a Ford Pinto to uh, your first presidential campaign in Iowa. But before that, you, I think, helped run um, a mayoral or city council race. You got involved in anti-apartheid stuff at the university, affirmative action. Was there a moment where you just went, oh, my God, this is it. Politics is it, even the local stuff. Uh no, it kind of happened. It, it, I mean, the moment, the first thing I ever remember in politics was I was excited by Bobby Kennedy in 1968. Um, and, um, but it was fleeting. You know, 68 happened. Uh, he was assassinated. I, I felt horrible about it. I was only, I think, 12 years old then. Um, but later, I think that was the spark that in San Jose, um, made, while I was a, a, a aeronautical engineering major, I started fighting apartheid um, South Africa. Um, I, I organized a little bit at student organization for Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers on the great boycotts and things like that. Just there were small like weekend things like this weekend, I'll go help do that. Um, and I just kept getting more and more involved on the political side. I remember distinctly in college one day, you know, at San Jose State thinking, wondering what was going to change people's lives more, this technology um, 
that was pervasive throughout the valley and starting, you know, really moving, or politics, you know, some somebody like Bobby Kennedy, uh, who would change people's lives more. And I, you know, having picked politics, I can tell you that I, you know, actually, I think the cell phone probably changed more people's lives than any any of the the politicians I can I can think of. Although <laughs> many of them uh, have done great, incredible things. Well, uh, John Lewis being a, a, a great example of that. Yeah, and in some ways you were able to merge technology coming out of San Jose State, S Silicon Valley, and politics, because that was really, and we're jumping ahead a little bit here, to the Howard Dean campaign in 2004, but you were re really a pioneer in using the internet, something that's very common now, to, to raise money and, and other things. How, how, did that, how did that come to be? Well, I, I had... Uh, Gosh, by 1988, I had been involved in three or four different presidential campaigns from Vice President Mondale to Gary Hart. I mean, and by the end of the 80, and Gephardt, and by the end of 88. And Jerry I Brown. Had, you know, that would be 92. Yeah, that was a little later. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> but, but, by, but at that point, I, um, I had really, and by 92, I had really gotten sick of politics. I mean, I had just sworn off that I would never work in, a, in a, after Jerry's campaign, that I would never work in another presidential <laughs> campaign. Well, what what was it about that campaign that turned you off? No, it was a it great was campaign. right? I'll tell you every, I tell everybody the same thing. You were, I would tell every American, you must go to work in a presidential campaign. Do one in your lifetime. It'll be the greatest experience you ever had in your life and you'll remember it forever the the but the very next set second after you say that to yourself when it ends the very next breath is please god don't let me ever do that again <laughs> um and so uh by 92 it had nothing to do jerry was uh, i loved working for jerry in a, in a in not just that campaign his his races for attorney general his races for uh governor against meg whitman um, but I got that would happen later. But I went through this period uh, in the 90s where I really had kind of sworn off um, that kind of involvement in politics and had gotten more involved back in, um, in technology in Silicon Valley and e-commerce and, um, um, and cybersecurity, of all things, um, uh, back then. Uh, and had learned enough, I guess, by the time I got the call from Howard Dean, um, I'd, I was dangerous. Enough, I knew enough about politics to be dangerous uh, with understanding the technology uh, that was out there. Um, I, there were a lot of politicians that didn't understand technology at all, a lot of tech people in technology that didn't understand politics, and I had sort of unwittingly waded my way through both worlds uh, and when Howard Dean called, um, it was I I was still had that no I do never want to do this again, but I'll do it if you let me do it differently. Um, was sort of the that was the draw that I mean one I he was against the war I was against so there's lots of uh, policy reasons that he was attractive to me but the biggest was in the end the tiebreaker the thing that actually made me decide to do it was that. Um, he was courageous enough to say, yeah, you, you know, let's let's do it different than it's ever been done. Um, maybe we're four years ahead of our time. Um, the iPhone wasn't launched until 2007. YouTube didn't exist. Uh, a lot, you know, Facebook, 
was on two college campuses in 2004. Uh, Twitter didn't exist. So the tools and the ability to, to directly uh, build something the way Bernie Sanders, Barack Obama, other people were able to do uh, uh, in, you know, uh, uh, later, uh, it started there. Uh, we pioneered a lot of it, but uh, it just it just didn't play out the way. The way, the way <laughs> you were ahead of your time. You know, Spoiler alert, yeah. Howard Dean did not yeah. win that. Um, yeah, if you're yeah. just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown on KQED Public Radio. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. We are talking to veteran Democratic campaign manager Joe Trippi. I mean, the other thing, I, I, reading back of, uh, over that time that you talk about is, you know, politicians that have it. That, that thing, that je ne sais quoi, whatever it is. Um, we've seen more recently people like AOC, I think. Um, saw Bill Clinton talking today. I think he had it in his own way. Wh- how how do you choose that? Like, what what is it about someone like Dean that spoke to you, uh, Jerry Brown? Like, th- these are all very different people. Yeah, I, I mean, sometimes, I mean, first of all, I've, I've been successful enough or whatever you, you want to call it that I, I genuinely have been able to work for people I wanted to work for not because I had to I, you know I had to get on another campaign just to figure out how, how to make it through um, the cycle and, and you know and, and, and pay the rent um, and so I you know I've been been lucky that way but the thing I learned a long time ago is I'm not trying to elect you know Joe Trippy's candidate um, in California or in Alabama. I'm trying to elect somebody who is there representing California, representing that district mm-hmm. in Oklahoma. Um, and so you, you've got to learn, or I, I, at least I tried to learn that, um, yeah, I, I may be uh, uh, you know, really progressive on this issue or that issue, but that's not my, you know, if, if I'm, somewhere else it's about making sure i help that, that candidate find that voice that reaches the people he or she are trying to represent and so that's why i think i worked for so many different people and usually the big attraction for me has been it can't be done um i think that was part of what made me want to do the dean campaign see if you could do a campaign um that sort of cut through around everything and went directly to voters. I'd been always frustrated by, uh, I was been a TV consultant and I was always frustrated that it was a one-way medium. In fact, in 92 with Jerry Brown, me and a, a colleague named Joe Costello, uh, who I still work with from time to time, came up with the 800 number idea for Jerry um that raised all that <laughs> trying to turn tv into the into a two-way thing where yeah you you know you'd hear him and he'd say call my number and you know and people contributed to him that was like uh, so the early version of internet donations right yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly you know that we we raised eight million dollars uh for jerry uh in that campaign for president in 92 uh and so that's why i mean there's a long history of me trying you know where i've been trying to, to to wrestle with that i think that was part of the dean thing i think um you know doug jones i think look he's the most he's literally um one of the most decent people i've ever met in the 40 years i've been involved in in politics and i think you know when i sat down with him the first time and no one realizing no one had won in Alabama statewide, no Democrat for 25 years. 
Other than um, other than having your opponent be Roy Moore, did, what did you learn uh, about you know winning in a place like Alabama, or was that just really a one-off? No, it, it, the, the 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 fact of the matter is everybody's got the the you know whatever people have in their heads about what happened in that campaign. It still astonishes me about how everybody didn't get what really happened and and how uh, different it was. We we had. Um, come from something like 18 points down to Roy Moore to have been to being within one point of him we, I, the, we had a poll our poll came out we were at 40, he was at 47 we were at 46 and that was all on Doug Jones talking about coming together and finding common ground uh, a very powerful ad that, that, uh, where he talked directly to camera really moved the race and then it was after that, it was several days after that, that the Washington Post story came out and said, Roy Moore is dead, you know, there's all these allegations. And the actual thing that happened was a lot of the Republicans that we had won over with our common ground, with the, that Doug Jones had won over with the common ground message, all went into, oh my gosh, it's the Washington Post, the elites, they're attacking our guy, and they started to go home. Actually, Roy Moore actually gained ground and went ahead of us off that story. Not that he's dead, you guys haven't won. I mean, it's, it's like almost the reverse of what actually, we spent the rest of the campaign always trying to win back those common ground Republicans, enough of them to win the seat, which is, yeah. which is, what we were able to do. If anything, what I've seen in 2018 and, and now in 2020, there are more of those. I mean, there are more, they, they were suburban women, uh, GOP women, younger um, Republicans, um, college educated, so some I may call business Republicans, but they, they're they they're looking more and more towards joe biden towards i mean and i'm not talking about alabama now i think more broadly the country, more broadly um um what we saw in 2017 um little glimmers of it and enough of it to get us uh, across uh, uh past roy moore by you know 23,000 votes well can i ask uh, you about across the country yeah. i think well, can I ask you about that? Um, I, I know you talked about this on your first episode of your podcast, which is, you know, the John Kasich, uh, former Ohio governor, is uh, rumored to be talking or maybe is for sure at the Democratic convention this year. And a lot of progressives were really turned off by that. Talk about like how Democrats need to, why Democrats would want someone like him and, and what you think they need to do to get some of those folks that, you know, propelled um, Doug Jones to victory. Well, look, uh, uh, I mean, uh, as I've said, you know, politics, the other lesson is politics is about addition, not subtraction. I think uh, I think Donald Trump has spent every day of his presidency subtracting away um, from where he could have gone. Um, I think that people were willing to give him the benefit of the doubt at, at, in the beginning, uh, some. And he squandered that, and then it started subtracting ever since. I think you start Kasich is is an example of those Republicans I'm talking about that that are looking now across the aisle at at 
Joe Biden um, and and sort of where the party is, where their own party is, and saying, is it safe to go there? And I think with Democrats, we want to be the big tent party that invites them in. I, I'd much rather be having a debate with with uh, um, Kasich about where you could actually sit down, negotiate, have actual amendments on the floor that get voted one way or the other and, and argue with Kasich than to have to continue sort of this polarized, no one works together, that we need to invite them over, not push them away. Well, and that's one of the lessons I, I've, I've learned, um, again, uh, coming out of Alabama. Well, in light of all that and everything else that you've learned along the way, uh, we've got to ask you about Biden's pick. Um, who do you think he should pick, and, and who do you think he will pick if they're different? Uh, well, I've, I've said uh, that if it were me, I'd pick uh, Mayor uh, Bottoms, uh, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms in, in, in uh, Atlanta. Uh, he's not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> you just <laughs> dismiss that right out of hand. <laughs> that's not gonna but uh, that's that's um, you, right? You're you're a little yeah. out of sync sometimes with uh, the conventional wisdom. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not I'm not the the you know I'm not an insider in my party. Uh, I think most would, most of them would say if you could go back and look at the dean and Jerry Brown and other things, you know, uh, at the national level that that, that I'm sort of uh, considered an, an outsider, uh, but. I, I, my reason is, I, I think, if you look at COVID, if you look at the uh, police reform, uh, racial tension, um, getting these small businesses, how do we open, uh, uh, yeah. open and, and schools, um, uh, how do we reopen schools locally? I, you know, I can make the case for picking somebody at the local level and say, I want that, I want a partner to help yeah. me. We're, we're, we're really short on time, sorry to interrupt, but so who do you think he will pick, real quick? <laughs> Uh, I think Kamala Harris has a really good chance of being picked. I, I think the thing that makes her stand out for me um, above the rest of them um, is that she was tested, not I mean, assuming the vetting and all that, she's been through the fire of a presidential campaign. She knows what that is like um, and what you, what you don't know really about any, any of the others, including Rice, is how will they stand up to that? They can vet, they can pass all the vetting. But you put them in front of those that tent, that those cameras, that that is a different thing. All right, we're gonna have to leave it there, Joe Trippy. Thank you so much. I think your next podcast episode drops on Friday, so check it out. That's gonna do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Jim Bennett. Today, KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at M Lagos. Thanks for listening. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. 
Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.